Okay, go Hawks. All right, uh, just a tad down, thanks. Okay, um, uh, thanks for prayers. I had a little health thing again this last week, so, but I'm fine, and, but just thanks for prayers. Okay, it's been an interesting week or two. Uh, so, with that, uh, I'm very excited because, once again, the Lord has done something extraordinary. For almost three years now, at the crucial transitional moments, which this is one, right? Last week was transitional from summer to this, and now we're this, right? And I, we don't, we're not going to speak its name because, you know, you don't want to call on the darkness. But, but the bottom line is, is that when we hit this time of year, this is the beginning of the year, as is the new year, right? There's kind of two starts to it. And for about the last three years now, God's been doing the most extraordinary thing. And that is right at the, that first Sunday and second Sunday, he's been giving a message that is so profound, so fundamental, so foundational, so critical, and so deep that it takes the rest of that season to unpack what it really means. And so I didn't know that this was going to happen. I told you that I was out praying, and, and this was some weeks ago after I'd gotten back from our summer trip, and, and I, was, I, I looked in Luke just to see if that's where God wanted me. I kind of knew we weren't supposed to be there. I read this particular very difficult parable that we're going to do and instantly knew that I wasn't supposed to do it then. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't get any revelation whatsoever. But I knew that the Lord was saying, do not do this right now. Do this today, on the, the first Sunday when everybody's back or the New Year's starting and all this stuff is happening. And so this is what he told me to do. And I, so I didn't know and, any, you know, and I sat down this week and I, I looked at it and I didn't get it. And then I preached this passage before, but I knew I didn't have what he wanted me to get out of it. And so then I worked it and then I worked it and then I worked it and then I worked it. And then all of a sudden, I just went, oh my gosh. It was just one of those, oh, and he's doing it again. He's laying a foundation. He's giving us a concept today and next week. This is a two-parter. He's laying a foundation here that is going to take us months to really understand and to really enter into. It's not just months. It'll take us years to really plumb the depths of what this is. So with just that teaser intro, we're just going to dive right in. So the person who's doing the, cert, the uh, prayer for us today is Roger Miller. Oh, that is so awesome. You know, this is a guy who, this is, this is what we want everybody in this place to be like, okay? Because this, these guys do so much ministry outside of these doors through motorcycle ministries and all this stuff. And they, they really have given their life over to something that they enjoy very much. But that is their passion in the Lord, their calling in the Lord. So it is just wonderful to have you here and to pray for this particular message. Just wait. That's just perfect. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Um, as the other Roger said, remembering what happened 15 years ago. Father, we just um, don't want to ever forget that. And Father, now as we quiet our hearts and look towards you, and we just want to... Um, Come closer to you today through the message, through Kurt. We know that he listens to you. We know that he hears you. And he always gives what is 
in his heart and that we are to glean from that. So, Father, just give us the ears to hear what he has to say. Let it soak in. Let it bring us closer to you. Thank you, Jesus. Through this message. And, Father, I would ask that you, we lift up Redeemer Lutheran Church in Amen. Spokane, Washington. Amen. And when we hear all of the good things that come out of it today and through this sermon, we'll be careful to give you all the thanks and the praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Perfect. All right. Now, a little catch up because, you know, we're, we've been doing Luke for, I think it was the dawn of time. Uh, and, and what we've been doing in Luke is, is that we've, we've we said this thing at the very beginning, which has proven itself over and over and over to be true, and that is this, that Luke is a book that essentially describes the process the disciples went through in order to become the disciples, in order to become the people that they became, the big transition from the fishermen that they were to the fisher of men that they became. What happened? And it was that three and a half years time with, with Jesus. And what we did, what we've done is, and what we started with was is this idea that as we watched what Christ had done with the disciples and we let him do the same with us, we too would be disciples, discipled as were they. So that's what we've been doing. Now, the first eight chapters, as we've looked at well a long time ago, the first eight chapters were essentially college. And college is that time where you go from what your life was and what you thought it was and what it seemed like, and then all of a sudden you get out into the world and you find out there's an entirely larger viewpoint to be had out there. It takes you out of parochialism and it brings you into what is really possible in this incredible world in which we live. And so college is that time where that's supposed to be doing that to you. And that's what happened when they got together with Jesus because Jesus was doing all these extraordinary things and showing them how much more there was than what they knew. So that was the first eight chapters. And then at chapter nine, having, having had us watch and learn, it was now time to start learning through doing. So we entered the master's level program. And that started in chapter 9, we're now in chapter 16, and the master's level program has been, now start doing this. And God has been orchestrating seasons and times and flows and so on where we have been experiencing much of what they experienced. And let me put it this way, the more, you know, this, there is a little bit like any class, what you get out, what you put in, Right? If you really engage the things that God is doing, then he's going to be bringing you into more and more experiences on a personal level too. So the bottom line is, is that's been the master's level class that we're at, and we are now at the end of the master's level class. In chronological time, we're somewhere around less than a month. We, we could be, we're just a period of weeks now before Jesus will be taken away. He'll be crucified, and then 40 days, and then ascend. Okay, or 50 days, but... Um, but the point is, is that he will ascend, and, and that, that period of time after he's ascended and taken away, that becomes our doctoral, right? Because as a doctor, what you do is, is it's now time for you to carry on the message that you've learned. It's time for you to add to the knowledge. It's time to you to give your contribution to make this thing work the way that it's supposed to work. So this is where Jesus is headed with the disciples. This is where Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is headed with us. And where we are right now is in this final journey, this final trip that Jesus takes where he was doing ministry in Israel, but now he set his face to Jerusalem and he is headed to Jerusalem. 
straight there. And on the way there, he'll do a few little things, but really what he's doing is he's telling parable after parable after parable after parable. And what we learned, again, some time ago about parables was the reason why he's doing that is because parables are these very interesting things. We, we looked and, and go back and watch these sermons if you want to get, it's very fascinating stuff. But what we looked at was is how we think and therefore how we behave. And what we learned was is that behavior is really the ele an elephant and then there's a rider on the elephant. And we like to think that our rational mind is in control of our behaviors. It turns out that the little guy riding on top of the massive elephant is rationality. It turns out that what the elephant itself is, is this thing that's inside of us which causes us to instantly react to things. And that's what we actually, how we actually behave and why we actually behave the way that we do. It's our reactions. And then our rationality comes in, explains what the reactions were and justifies them, but it's just explaining. It's not actually leading. These, what we call them, what we learned of them was planks. And I, and I want you to think about it this way. See, you, we've all got these planks inside of us and then there's space between the planks. And when something comes into us, it goes down inside of us and then the part that hits a plank bounces back out in a reaction. The rest of it just goes away. See? And so it's the planks that you have that cause you to react the way that you do, and that's the important thing if you're going to change behavior. So here's what a parable does, and it's just incredible how it does it. A parable is a story, but it's much more than a story. It's a story on steroids, because all stories have a beginning, middle, and end. They have a point and a purpose, right? But parables do that in a very short amount of words in a very short time, compressed space and the shift the switch the revelation the, the arc of the story that brings you into a moment of aha which is what a story is supposed to do that's why we tell stories to learn something and the the, the that moment of aha that moment of revelation in a parable is is completely ginned up it's completely turned up to a hundred so that what happens is, is that when we hear, now watch, see, you're walking along, you're acting as you act, you're just behaving the way that you behave, and then all of a sudden you hear this story, and if you enter into the story, you can just read a parable and just get a little nice story out of it, and it can mean a little but not much, and then you just move on. But if you let happen with parables what Jesus wants to happen, then what will happen is, is that you will be participating in the story, and then you will be going along with this thing that we all do and we all recognize that we all do. And then all of a sudden we'll discover why what we all do turns out to be really a problem in a revelationary moment, in, a, in an aha, oh my gosh. And that's when he's saying, if you'll let that happen to you, then what you'll do is you'll build another plank in your life. You'll say, well, that's not okay. Let me give you an example. Good Samaritan, right? This is the very popular story of a guy that gets beat up and now he's laying bandaged on the side of the road, robbed and destitute. And here comes these, these three different people. And the first one is a priest. Now, you really need to get into the story to understand how it works because the priest in the story, he has a religious duty to do. He has a religious obligation. And if he stops and helps this guy, he will become defiled and not be able to carry out his religious service. So there's a reason why 
it seems right even to anybody listening to that parable for the first time to think it's okay for the priest to go across the road, not take care of the guy, and go do his religious duty. But then the next guy is a religious scholar, so this is a guy who's supposed to really get the heart of it and know the depths of it and so on. And he essentially, because he's got something going on too, he essentially does the same thing. But now all of a sudden, here comes the third guy, and the third guy, and this is the key, is a Samaritan. It's not a Jewish guy. The Jewish guys were the priest and the, and the scholar. This third guy is a half-breed, a literally a racist. The Jewish people thought of the Samaritans in a racist fashion. Okay, they were, they were compromised people that were from the tribe of Israel and had intermarried, and so they were defiled as human beings. This is terrible stuff. So this hated, you call them pigs, it's that guy that comes and bandages the guy and takes him and puts him up and pays for it and says, I'll be responsible for whatever he debts until he gets healed up. Now all of a sudden, see, a religious leader, a Jewish person knowing their religious obligations, all of a sudden they're going, well, wait a minute. See, you know, I was thinking it was kind of okay that those religious leaders did that because they had to take care of the more important stuff in the temple. But it turns out that God was way before the temple. God was sitting there trying to help the guy on the side of the road through you. And so there's this thing that makes us go, oh my gosh. Now, in ethics, we have books that we can write about the ethics of that situation. And you could write volumes of books on that. Volumes have been written. But a parable does all of that in just a few minutes, in just the telling of the story, and we instantly get it. And what it causes us to do when we allow ourselves to really get it is it causes us to say, it's not my religious obligations that he cares about. Those will be taken care of. It's people. It's the hurting. This is who he cares about. And if I'm going to be like him, if I'm going to be his servant, I'm going to care about people. And so we put a plank in us that says when I see somebody hurting, I want that information to come in and bounce back up and cause me to react in helps. See it? This is what Jesus is trying to do with his disciples because think about it, he's just about to be gone. And what he wants to do is, is he wants to get this to where they know how to behave because he's helped set the right planks in place. So now they behave like he would and they're able to carry forward the message like he does. Are we getting it? So this is why these parables are so critically important. And just to, just to remind ourselves of the little, the little way that we do a parable, okay? Um, hold on. My fault. The first thing we have to do is we have to enter into the story. We have to experience what is happening in the story if it's, it's, it's happening to us. But we have to go deeper than just experiencing the story. There is in every story actually a protagonist is what we call it. And the protagonist is the one that we're to identify with because it's what happens to that protagonist. In fact, we call it literally the character arc. That's the change that happens to the protagonist through because of the story. See? And it's supposed to create a change in us. So we have to identify with whatever character in the story that God wants us to identify with so that whatever happens to that person in the story is happening to us. Got it? 
And then the third thing is, it's only then. It's only when we identify with them and go through it as if we were actually going through it. God gave us mirror neurons. We can do that. That's how we have empathy. And when we do that, then, it, then we experience an aha revelation which resets our planks inside. So this is what Jesus is doing on this final part of the master's journey. They've learned a lot by watching. They've learned a lot by doing. And now what he's trying to do is to set these planks in place so that what they do when he's gone will be the right thing in the right way. Right heart, right everything. Got it? So this is a critical moment in time. These are those last words. The important, the most important stuff. Okay? So with that in mind, what you do is you take a parable. How, who, do, who does each character in the story represent? Who am I supposed to identify with? What's the aha revelation I'm supposed to get? So here we go. Here's the one that we're doing. Here's this incredibly difficult parable. And it's, it's interesting because you can get sort of a facile, superficial understanding of it and then move on. But the more, the closer and the harder you look at it, the harder it gets to understand what it is, that, what the heck it is God's saying in it. So here we go. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches. I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to the employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? And the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? Asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels a week, was the reply. Here the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. Now, the rich man, you'd think he'd be pretty ticked off, right? But the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal. Right there. These are words that should not be coming out of the mouth of Jesus. If you have a religious understanding of Jesus, it's being blown up right here. Because Jesus, Mr. Holy, Mr. Righteous, Mr. Pious, is not supposed to be telling a story about some guy admiring a dishonest rascal. It's just not supposed to be happening. So the bottom line is, is he had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd, for cheating. It's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson. Use your world of resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they'll welcome you to an eternal home. All right, now, let's take this apart, okay? Let's do our little test, our little thing. Who are the characters? Landowner, manager, and others, right? Debtors, right? Landowner. Who's the landowner? Who's the landowner in every other parable that Jesus ever tells? Who's the landowner? The guy who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? But you got a problem in this parable. This guy is interesting. <laughs> you know, really? God's going to be telling somebody who was cheating? That was pretty clever of you. Really? That's God? Right? So you, you got one thing, which is the parable type. What they're set up to understand who the landowner is, is God, but it's kinda. You know what I mean? It's like, but there's also something going on that doesn't seem very God-like. Okay? So you gotta just recognize that. Now, who are we supposed to be in the story? We're the manager. 
Okay, this is who we're being likened to, compared to. This is who we're supposed to identify with in order to understand the tension and the resolution to this parable. And the debtors, well, this is other people. Okay, now, I, I, I was reading this parable, and, and, you know, I read it, and I've preached it before, and, and, and I read it, and I just went, this is such a screwed up parable. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's just so hard. And again, the more you work on it, the, hard, the more it goes away from you, okay? I mean, you know, really, you're complimenting somebody who's stealing something? Really? We're supposed to somehow be like that? Is, is the lesson of the parable, be a better thief? <laughs> be shrewd in the world? You know, cheat people in the world. You know, well, don't cheat God, but kind of God. But, well, I mean, but he's, if you do it clever enough, it's going to be okay. I mean, uh, Right? So I'm, I'm lost, and I'm trying to find my way, and I'm doing what you do there, which is ask God. And, and I didn't, still wasn't getting it, and so I did another thing, which I think is a perfectly wonderful thing to do, and that is I went to these excellent resources I've got, these commentator, commentaries, and I went in particular to three commentaries that I can really trust. They come from very different perspectives, but they all really have the heart of God that authors tend to, and the, or the writers. There's usually in a commentary set, there's usually more than one author. Several different, one for each book. But the bottom line is, is I went to the, I went to commentaries and I just said, I just want to see what they have to say to see if it triggers anything in me that causes me to get this parable. And I want to tell you, I looked at many more than three by the time I was done, but the first three and several others after that all revolved around this certain piece of information, which let's be clear, was not to be found in the parable itself. It's to be found in scholarly types. Because here's what scholarly types know, and this is what they were all running around. When you try to explain how somehow this manager that's, that's dishonest is being commended, somehow they're trying to make it to where he did something good. Now, that's not the plain meaning, is it? But they're trying to say, the way he's being commended, he must have done something good. So what they say is, I got it. Here's what it is. God commands that we not, Israelites, not do usury to one another. Now, you can understand usury two ways. One is any kind of interest. If somebody needs a loan from you, you're supposed to just give them the loan, and then they give you back the same amount of money. Now, we don't even think that that's fair, and so there is a way of saying that interest was okay, but usury was onerous interest. You know, 5% is okay, 35 or 50% is not okay. That's thievery, Right? And, and that's that stealing from somebody at a time of need. It's making their situation worse in a way that God is not pleased with. So usury is clearly out. And so what they say is, ah, I get it. The owner, the landowner, was being usurious. Now, you got a little problem right there. Because, you know, somehow God's connected with this landowner, and he's not usurious. So, all right. But nonetheless, they're saying the landowner was being usurious, and the manager, knowing it, he reduced the amount down to the amount that would have been owed originally if he hadn't charged the interest. In other words, he didn't, the guy didn't really get loaned 800 barrels of olive oil. He got loaned 400 barrels, and he was being charged double for it. The other guy, 800 bushels was what he actually loaned, but he had to pay back 1,000. See? And so the commentators say, this is why the guy was being commended. Now, is there anybody out there that that, now what, this is important because this is what we're doing today. Is there anybody out here that that explanation triggers something inside of you and makes you happy? 
makes you feel like, oh, that's a revelation. E equals MC squared. This is beautiful and simple and clear and, and insightful and revolutionary. This is going to change my life. Is there anybody that feels like that explanation does the work of a parable in them? Helps to reset a plank in them that makes a difference in their behavior. See, when you hear that explanation, it, makes, it made me kind of want to go, God, I get frustrated with these guys. <laughs> You know, now mostly they're awesome and great, and I highly recommend them, okay? But I just want to say, well, I've got bad things, so let me not say all those bad things. You know, let me say it this way. Here's the really cool thing about God. Here's the way that Jesus says it. O oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for re revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. We are talking about a hermeneutic principle, one of the two most important ones you'll ever hear, and you're going to hear them both today. But here's the, here's the first one. God is a super good communicator, the best ever. And you can take somebody with a 70 IQ, which is the break line for what we consider under that to be handicapped or mentally challenged, or there's better words for it than what I just used. Correct me, I'm sorry. But the bottom line is um, differently abled, I think, would be one of the ways of putting it. But the idea is, is you can take somebody that has less than a 70 IQ and you can tell them almost all the parables and they get them. You don't have to be wise. You get the beauty of the parable. The guy helping the person in the Samaritan story. You get it. It's beautiful. It's simple. It's clear. It doesn't take a genius. But you can take a guy at 130, which is genius and above, and you can take that guy and put all kinds of schooling inside of him, and he will still be able to spend the rest of his life mining the depths of what that means. So in one parable, God has communicated to the most simple to the most intellectual, but the hermeneutic principle is this. If you have to be smart or educated to get your conclusion, it's the wrong conclusion. Because you don't have to be smart or educated to understand anything that God said, ever. Ever. The second hermeneutic principle The Bible is the only book in the world where the author comes with every copy. And if you're having a problem figuring out what the heck it means, just ask the author who's right there with you. When you wrote that, what did you mean? So I'm sitting here having read these commentaries in a place of a little frustration, still working on it. All of a sudden I, I get to it and I think to myself, what am I supposed to do here, Lord? This didn't answer it. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to get this? Please unlock it for me. I want to get this, what you want me to get out of it. What do I do? And I'm doing this, and I'm wrestling with it. Here, let me tell you right now, this would be a third hermeneutic principle. You've got to wrestle with stuff. If you think everything's going to come just easy, stuff that comes easy goes easy. Stuff that you have to work for sticks and has a chance of making a plank in you. So having to dig for the pearl of great price is worth it. So the point is, is I dug and I dug, and all of a sudden I felt like the Lord prompted me to say, 
Just go back and read the flow of the parables. Because here's the thing. These parables that I'm telling are not disconnected from each other. They're being told in a string, not randomly. They're literally building a case to something. There's a line upon a line and a precept upon a precept that is adding up to something that is extraordinary, and you're actually at the extraordinary place now, which is why this one's so hard to understand. Because this one's gotten to where your plank is missing. So you don't see it, even though it's obvious as can be. And so I went, okay. And I went back and I started looking at these parables. Ever since he set his face to, to Jerusalem, I started looking at the parables one by one. I just went, walked through them. And as I walked through them, I started going, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It was just revelation after revelation until I got to this parable and I went, oh, it's so simple. <laughs> it couldn't possibly be more obvious what this parable is about. It's so simple. It was like, it was like so obvious that I looked through it. Right? So having gotten that revelation, I thought to myself, how do I communicate this to you? Because this is cool. And I felt like if I did this and I just took you on the journey that I went on, that, you know, you would have a revelation, sure, and it might build a little board out there, but it'd be a two by four. You know? And I don't want a two by four. This one that he's gotten to right now is all of us at the deepest place. This is what we're going to be doing for months. Trying to unpack this thing. So I want you to have the revelation. I want you to have this moment. And, and by the way, you don't have to get it. You can get it from a commentary, but you have to work at it first. Don't go to the commentary first because then you get it too easy and then it's not in you. So work it. Use the tools advisedly, judiciously properly and in care. You see it? So here's what we're going to do now, okay? And if you're visiting here, I love you, okay? I'm so happy that you're here. Uh, you're going to be fine. This is not going to be painful, I promise. <laughs> but what we're going to do is, is, is I felt like what God said is reach into your, are they in the packets or on the trays? Pull this out, okay? This is two pages front and back. A total of four pages. And this is, these are the verses that start at chapter 13. Uh, whatever that verse is right now. Let me get my glasses. This is the one where he sets his face to Jerusalem and starts telling these stories. Okay? So 13.22. And these are the stories right here. And here's what we're going to do. Will Lees is going to come up here and provide some nice, gentle background music for you. And you have a pen too. And I'm going to ask you to go through these and look at them, and yes, read them, but do, do this now, fly a little high. Don't dig too deep, just fly high and say, what's the obvious meaning here? And just make little notes, one to the next, to the next, to the next, until you start seeing if they're building for you, see? And then just do that, and we're gonna do that for as long as it takes. I'm guessing it might be 10 minutes, and we're gonna do it individually, each person on their own, with a little music and a pen. Everybody's got to have their own piece of paper. Don't, don't cheat off your neighbor. Okay? You know what I mean? You know, if you do that, you never learn math. Okay? So do it yourself. And then what we're going to do, I'll explain it a little bit more when we get to it. Then we're going to turn to each other at some point in time, and we're going to talk about it briefly. What did you get out of it? What did you get out of it? We're going to see if that's not another moment 
where revelation happens about what this parable is about. The revelation we're going for is, is what is this parable of the dishonest steward about? Okay, that's the one we're shooting for. And then, like I say, then I'm going to hear some of those answers, and then I'm going to take you through my journey on it, and we're done. Okay? So this is going to be fun. Trust me. Okay? I realize I have a warped definition of fun, but okay? All right. So with that in mind, everybody get what we're doing? Okay? Online, if you'll go to, thank you, if you'll go to your clicker, you can click right on one of the sliders right there on the front home page, and you can pull this exact thing up. And you can start making notes to yourself right there. Or you can print it or do whatever you want to do. Okay? All right. So, um, fire away. Each one of these sections, just write a thought by it. Catch it? What's the point of it? By the way, if you're here and you don't even know the Lord, thank you for being here. And we always have several people that are. And you can do this. Okay?
just for timing's sake, we're going to call it five minutes. And I'll be watching. We may not quite be at that. Okay? But I just want you to get some sense of where we might be in the process here.
How are we doing? Are we far enough along that we can turn to one another and just have a five-minute discussion to sort of talk about it? Are we good with that? Okay, so that's all right. That's all right. If you're not feeling that, that's okay. That's the reason why we're... Look, I'm trying to model how you find revelation. First, you look at it. Go to other sources. In the end, it's got to be, right, revelation to you. So turn to, turn to three or four, maybe five other people. Please, if it's six or seven people in your group, that's too many, okay? Um, let's say four to five, okay? Just because it makes it a little more comfortable. If you're an introvert, you can just keep working on your passage all by yourself, okay? But I want you to turn to, like I say, just a few other people, okay? If you find somebody sitting alone, don't. Get closer, okay? you know, move and, and talk to them, okay? But I want you to just talk for about, about five minutes and then I'm going to hear what you guys think about it, okay? Make sure and introduce yourselves. Nice moment to meet somebody here. Thank you, Will. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? Good. Yeah? Are you, uh, has it been fun stepping back into worship and yeah. sort of letting God move and harrowing too, I know, but, you know, harrowing too, I know, but, you know, yeah, just, you know, but I'm really good, good, it's awesome. How'd you break it? I, I helped to break it. It fell off the stage. Uh, break the neck? How's is that hard to fix? I've had it fixed like six times before. Adam.
All right, so we have, uh, we have people with microphones that are going to come around, and this is the brave souls amongst you. If you've got it, if you think you can explain to us, now remember, we're not looking for the revelation in all of it. We're looking for this, we're answering this question. How do we understand this parable of dishonest steward? What's the key that unlocks it for us so that we can go, aha, I got it, that's what this is about, okay? So who wants to raise their hand and take a shot at it? Okay. Does anybody feel like they got it? Okay, go ahead. I don't know if I got it or not, but um, the, uh, the thought that... Um, a little closer. I, the, the, best, the best thought that I was able to put to it was sometimes it's easy to use your earthly wisdom to apply to, let's say, a religious situation. That's in total contrast with the gate is wide and the road is narrow. So I totally see red flags going up with my conclusion. And I'm going to walk out of this door thinking what I came in here with, I don't get it. Okay. No, you're going to walk out getting it. Okay. okay? And you're going to really get it because, because you worked on it. That's the whole key to it. And I like what you said, but let's go. Who's got another one? Okay. We have uh, Paul Weston back there. Uh, Jesus, Jesus thought it was important uh, to emphasize what, it said, what he said previously, that uh, he prefers people to be either hot or cold. Yeah. If they're lukewarm, he spits them out. Yeah. And he admired the uh, rascal because he figured out what would benefit him in the future and went after it. He wants us to do the same thing, only figure out what really benefits us. I love and it. Go after us with. I love it. Does anybody else? Can, can anybody else build on that? Go ahead. So I just want to talk a little bit on the process too. So I did it by myself, kind of was gathering little things, and then as a group, as we started talking about it, it kind of came a little bit more Go to ahead. that point of. God as being, you know, he admired this person, us as the manager, and thought, well, gosh, you know, he's talking about these stories, bringing up the lost, and trying to find these things, and how many people he's celebrating, and really, you know, how many times do I, as a person and as a Christian in a world going, I kind of soften Christianity a little bit to people to say, yeah. well, why don't you just come to church with me, or why don't yeah. you just try this, and then you know, so God's really, what he's after is he's, he, he appreciates you, you, you know, softening the debt a little bit to those below and just to yeah. say, you know, just, you know, he yeah. loves you. You know, yeah. God loves you. So. There's a build here. Okay, go ahead. Anybody else? Um, I, I saw it as um, God knows our hearts. He knows, and he wants us to know him intimately amen and to put others before yourself amen and to real really be humble otherwise yeah. it, the opposite will never allow you in his kingdom wait till you hear where we're going each one of these is a part of a whole go ahead right here oh we'll do this and then we'll come here okay i can't see back there okay i got it 
So I got out of it um, from a lot of the previous parables was joy in others. Um, yeah. So a lot of like the, the woman right with here. the silver coins, she didn't really find joy until she found the one that was lost. Same with the, the parable of the prodigal son. Yeah. Until the lost one came back, then you found joy. And the joy is in others' joy, not your own joy. Yeah. So a lot of what I got out of the, the parable with the, the manager is that once he was able to give joy to someone else, he was able to find his joy. Well, I'm telling you, this is just building perfectly. This is exactly what I was hoping for in the Lord. Go ahead, Eric. So I don't know if I have that last parable uh, figured out yet, but the parables leading up to that, what I got from it was God saying, understand my heart. Yeah. And my heart is that I am emotionally invested in my people and, and everyone, yeah. down to the very last person. Yeah. His heart aches, his heart rejoices, he he throws parties over just one person. This is so good. And, and that there's always room for more. This is awesome. I'm going to do one more, and then I'm going to head into what I'm going to do with you. But, but is there one more? Okay, right back here. This goes straight back. Okay? Yes, love it. No, right there. Yeah, no, the gal, yeah. Oh, okay. I can't quite see, and the lights are just a little bright, so I'm, I don't know if I know you or not, so go okay. ahead. Okay, okay. That was the hardest parable for me, is the one that you tried to yeah. take apart. And um, to me, it just means if we forgive others, then God forgives us. So the manager forgave the debt from the other employees. Oh, I love that. And he forgives our debt when we do that as well. I love that. Was there one more before we get to this? Oh, yeah, please. Um, I just see the, the landowner as saying, wow, my manager really gets it that people are more important than all this wealth I have. And he really gets <laughs> it that people and relationships are what is, is important. Okay, now take all these ideas, because literally every single one of these ideas is in where we're going right now. Now I'm just going to show you my journey, and let's be clear about something. You had 10 minutes to read it, 5 minutes to discuss it, and then we shared for 5 minutes. So I had much more time. And I believe had you taken the time, you would have gotten, continued to build on this and gotten to this place. I believe that with all my heart. But, but if I, here's what I did. When I was doing this, I, I had this like this and I was writing down and the first thing that I said to myself is, if I had to title the whole of all of these messages, they would come under this title. We're not getting it. We're not getting it. Now watch this. The very first question that is asked sets the tone of everything that's to follow. The opening question, somebody asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? Now here's what our answer is as Christians. No, all kinds of people get saved, blah, 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 blah. But here's what he says. It's worse than what I'm going to show. There's people who are going to try and not get in. In fact, he says it this way. You will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, now remember, this is what one of the people said. I don't know you, where you're coming from. You don't know me. Get away from me, all you who do evil. Now these are people that are thinking that they have some right to be in. But what he's saying is, no, you don't get what's happening here. Now watch, it goes on. Do you want to know the heart of God? Because he's not trying to keep people out. This is the very next story. And I'm doing it literally story by story. <coughs> I'm giving you a little header so that you can follow along in your notes if you want, but it's going to be easier if you just follow here. But the bottom line is the very next story is the God's heart. Here's what God's heart is. 
Oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. Now listen to his heart. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. He gave us free will. You wouldn't let me gather you together. I was trying, but you wouldn't let me. And now, look, your house is abandoned. You'll never see me until you say blessings on those who come in the name of the Lord. <coughs> then he goes right into this. Now think about this. The Sabbath is the thing that every religious leader should have down pat. The laws of washing and the Sabbath, those are the biggies that the priests do. This is the really big stuff. And here are the priests, and he goes to them, and he says to them, look, do you understand what the, what the Sabbath is, or do you not get it? Because do you understand, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? And they didn't answer. They refused to answer. They knew it says in another place that they were, if they said this, the people would think this, and if they said this, then they'd say what I mean. So they couldn't find the answer. And so Jesus, he's just like, you don't get it. So he heals him and sends him away. <laughs> right? Okay. What is humility, really? Now, I'm going to, I, I probably, I made the titles up on these, and, and I, I would change this title if I'd had the time, if I hadn't already printed all of these to this. Why is humility so important? And here's why. If you're not getting it, there's a reason why, and it's probably beyond what you get, so you're going to need to get humble in order to get it. You see it? You're going to need to bend your knee in order to get a revelation from God, if you're not getting it. So you really need to bend your knee and be humble. And so he says, oh, he says in, in that one, he says, uh, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. See, those who think they got it, who think they understand it, who think they've entered it, who think they owe it, who think it's, they've earned it, you don't get it. It's the people who humble themselves that I can take in place at my table, at the head. See it? Okay, next one. What generosity really is. He turned to his host. Look, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. Now, does he mean never, ever invite them? Don't ever be friends with them again? Of course not. What he's saying is, is who are your friends and why? Is it because of mutual exchange, mutual benefit? Are all the rich people getting together because they're making themselves richer? Or are you loving everybody? And so what he says is, they'll invite you back, and that'll be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. See, now this is, again, one of these ideas that came out. It's starting to say, where's your orientation? What are you about? With your resources, what are you about? Getting more for you, for what it does for you? Or are you about doing something for somebody? Are you about pouring out for other people? See? You see how he's moving this? You see how line upon line is building? And then he goes, many are invited. Look, these are Jewish people that he's talking to in these stories. And what he's telling them is he says, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. Who's he talking about? He's talking about all you Jewish people that think you're in because of Abraham. There's a problem. <laughs> you don't get it. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they began making excuses because they had another agenda. Not God's, they had their own. They weren't getting it. See it? 
So it keeps going. Look, you got to know the cost. Until you know the cost, you don't get it. And how much is the cost, it turns out? Everything. You cannot become my disciple without giving up everything. <laughs> you cannot. Oh, well, you, you know, I'll give you money, <laughs> but don't go meddling. Uh-uh. Uh, what happened? Be like Jesus. Who's Jesus with? Who does he hang out with? He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of this law complain. Why would they be complaining? Wouldn't they be thanking God that sinners were coming in to hear something good? But they're complaining that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them for heaven's sakes. I pray to God that everybody here go out to lunch after we're done today with a sinner, okay? Seriously, right? Okay, that just means each other, by the way, okay? If you want to invite somebody else, feel free, okay? Right? Be like Jesus. He's the God who's going after every lost sheep, who's considering every person as an exceedingly precious coin. This is who he is. Do you know him? Do you get it? The prodigal son. God's the one who's always searching the horizon for those who have left. He's always looking in hopes for the one that would come back. And then we're the ones that don't get it, and so we go away. Hoping at some point in time that they'll come back. When, they get, when we get religious, and here's the great. Now, this is us, right? You see, now watch what he's been doing. He's been going after the Israelites. But now he's starting to go after us, the self-righteous. He's starting to go after us and that, and that elder child, right? Because the thing is, the elder child is like, you know, what are you doing for him? And then the, we, when we get religious, we become the elder son resenting the good thing the father is doing for the prodigal. And so he has to say to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. What does Jesus care about? This is one of the things that was said. Other people. He cares about people coming in. He cares about rescuing, helping, healing. And so it goes on. Now we're to our, we're to our one right now. Okay, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Let me reparse that, restate that for you. Here's what's being said. You have somebody who doesn't know the Lord, but you were generous and helpful. You made a difference to them. You made a difference in their life to the point that they came to know who God was. And now... They are your reward, your welcoming party in heaven. See what he's saying? Store it up in the right place. Use the resources I've given you to make a difference in people's lives, and they will be the ones who are welcoming you with an eternal gift that doesn't rot. You can't take the money to heaven, but you do get to take the ones that are coming with you. You see? And they're the ones that are saying, look at this. Look, thank you for what you did when you did that, when you sacrificed, when you gave, when you helped me the way that you helped me, when you did the thing that you did. That brought me to him, and that was the most glorious thing that has ever happened to me, and thank you for letting God use you like this. 
You see what he's saying? Now, here's, let me paraphrase the whole point of it. Here's the contrast that he's making. He's saying people in the world that are stealing in order to protect themselves are working their system better than Christians who have everything but are living like people having to steal to protect themselves. <laughs> he's saying to us Christians, you don't understand what you've got. You don't get it. You've got so much more than you could ever even begin to think or imagine. This is what you've got, but you're living over here miserly. You're living over here stingily. You're living over here with it all framed out as to how it has to work. And surely God has got to be in the middle of that because he knows what you need. <laughs> and what he's saying is, oh my God, I have an avalanche for you. And if you would just learn to do, and we're going to see that in one second. But here's the point. Now watch this. We talked about the Good Samaritan parable. And we talked about the religious leaders to whom he told it to. And when those religious leaders, thinking that they were doing the right thing by going around the person and not defiling themselves, when they thought they were doing the right thing, by the end of that parable, they came to understand that they had done the wrong thing. They hadn't helped the person in need. Here's what's being said by God to the disciples, but much more to us who have become born again in him who have been made new by him. We should understand this moment, the truth of what we've been given much more than the disciples could because they hadn't been saved yet. They were still operating in old nature, right? That wasn't until after he died. And so this parable becomes really about you and me. And what he's saying is, is do you understand what you have? Do you get it? Because if you do, you're going to live a certain way. And it's going to be generous. And I'm looking out at a lot of faces here who I want to just say, thank God that you get it. I'm just, I'm sorry, I've got to do it. What you guys are doing with, I'm not going to mention his name because it wouldn't be right, but what you two are doing with that person that needs help and that many people have given up on and what you guys have continued to do and the difference that it's making in his life, that's a guy who's going to be in heaven and he's going to welcome you home. He's going to be your reward in heaven. Okay. And that was what you were prophesying to me earlier today, okay? So I'm just telling you, there's a lot of people here who are starting to get it, who are starting to live it. And when you do, you start living your life differently. You just can't not. It's just so much better. The other thing is, oh my God, that's just so horrible and, and Scrooge-like and just terrible. <laughs> this is ridiculous. This thing over here, making a difference in people's lives with the incredible resources that God has given me, and he will pour more out through you? Oh my God, <laughs> do you know what you have? Now, if you think I'm not right about my interpretation, let me make it clear. This is exactly what he then goes on to say. If you are faithful in little things, what's he talking about? The resources I've given you, the job that you have, and the money that you make from it the health that you've got. If you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, who's, who's being called dishonest? You and me. Why? Because we're using it like the world uses the resources, not like God would have us. And so he's saying we're the ones that are being dishonest. In these little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. If you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with the true riches of heaven? Look, if you are not faithful with other people's things, whose are these things that we have? They're not ours. 
<laughs> he asks us to tie back 10% to recognize not that we get to use the other 90% any way we want, but to recognize from whom the 100% came from. <laughs> right? This is not a tithing sermon, by the way. Okay, wait till, wait till next week. We're going to take this thing to a place that is so much deeper and richer, and I think this is pretty good. I hope this is worth the price of admission for today. But the bottom line is, next week, I just, I just am so excited, I can't stand it. If you're not faithful to other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then, and then the Pharisees, the next verse, the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and rejected him yet again because they didn't get it. You want to know somebody who did get it? This is a tease to next week. All the believers were united in heart and mind in the very first expression of the church. And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, not just in their words, but in their deeds, in the way that they acted, to the point that it says in another place that we'll look at again next week, it says that people feared, they greatly admired him, but they feared to join him. Why? Because if it was asked of me, I'm not willing to do that. And I want to tell you right now in preparation for next week, I'm not willing to do what the Lord is asking us to do. I am not willing to do it. And I think that that's the first way that you start getting over a real problem. Recognizing that you do not have the capacity to fix it. Because I don't. Because I know me. And I know what I've done. And I can turn on a, on a relative basis, if we grade it on the curve, I grade out pretty good. I've given away a lot of money in a lot of situations. And some extremely sacrificially. I don't want to do what God's saying here. I don't. And that's what puts me in the right place to where he can start fixing it. <laughs> oh, there were no needy people among them because those who owned their lands or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Wait till you hear this one next week too. Here's the point. I don't want to leave you with the tease for next week. I want to leave you with the th stuff that I think he wants you to marinate in the whole of this week. Here's where he wants you to marinate. Would you just please start getting real? Remember last week? I kept saying it. Can we just agree to just get real about what we really feel? <laughs> to be really brutally honest, right? Can we just get real and can we do this this week? Can we just start owning something? I don't get it. Here's how I know I don't get it. Because I don't do it. <laughs> if I got it, I would go, oh my God, that's so fantastic. I would do it all the way. And not just the whatever percentage of the way I got right now. I would do it wholeheartedly, cheerfully, without any reservation whatsoever. In fact, to the contrary, with an expectation of the hugeness of God that was right there just waiting to pour through me what he could do to people if I would just let him. By not siphoning. Are we good? Can we do this together? Can we start a journey together right here at the beginning of the year? Can we get a hold of a principle that we don't get it, but that God has a miraculous way of making us to come into it? Just like he did with the disciples? 
He'll be successful with us like he was with them because it's the same Holy Spirit that worked in them that's working in us. Right? So are you good for that? Can we go here? Take the week. I really am telling you, take the week and just go through it and say, don't, don't try and figure out how you do have it. Figure out all the ways in which you don't. <laughs> because then you start to come to realize the size of the problem for real as opposed to being that person that's in semi-denial about what the problem really is. Start owning the magnitude of it. We good for this? Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you. Not just thank you, but praise you. Not just praise you, but glorify your name through our lives, God. Do this thing in us that only you can do, God, in Jesus' holy and precious name. You who have begun this good work in us, would you and will you and thank you for being faithful to complete it, being faithful to perfect it. You come back for a spotless bride. God, <laughs> we're not that, but you can make us that. You can get us to understand what is truly true. You can get us to enter into the fullness of what is true. Oh God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, glorious God. Oh. We reach down and we take these two cups in front of us, one stacked on the other. And then this lower cup that we take out, we, 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 we take it, put it in your hand that you can crunch with, and we just say, in Jesus' name, we recognize that we have lived in a miserly fashion. I'm not talking money when I say that. We've lived in a fashion that has been is as if the kingdom that we were of was the world's. We're thieving and stealing and cheating and trying to get up on your own and trying to get over on another is the way that it works. And here you are, God, pouring your life out for us. And so in Jesus' name, we want to become those who pour our lives out for others because we know it's the greatest joy, it's the greatest wonderful fulfillment that could ever be. And that because we have not lived in that, we've actually broken not just ourselves but the world that we have failed to reach. And so in Jesus' name, we put our finger in there, both for our own brokenness and for that which we have not, we have created in our failures. But God, when we, when we look at the broken body of Christ, what we remember is, is that by your stripes we were healed. You took that upon yourselves, our failure you took upon yourself. And then you healed us and made us whole from it. So we lift up this cup and we say in Jesus' holy and precious name, dear God, make me whole. Heal me. Body, soul, and spirit, every aspect, help me to get it. In Jesus' name, take together. And now here's the beauty of the cup in which is the blood, which is the life. This is the life that Jesus has for us. This is the surpassing, exceedingly glorious, magnificent, beyond all measure. This is the life. <laughs> life with a capital L and a capital I and a capital F and a capital E. This is the life that's already waiting for me. Everything that needed to be done was done on that cross. It is finished. And so in Jesus' name, God, we take this cup together and drink to this becoming the reality in our lives. Thank you, Lord.